Live from Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter 2.0. I'm Sean McCraney, your host. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Lord, we uh, seek you in spirit and truth. Pray you'll be with our volunteers and uh, with people who are tuning in to watch our final part with Eric tonight. And uh, we just pray that uh, people who are seeking uh, will find. We love you and we give you all glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. So, well, it's been a month and a half since we have done a live call-in show, and uh, we'll return to that next week. Uh, but we have seen a lot of information since I interviewed John DeLynn in a three-part series. He then interviewed me in a three-part series. And then Eric Jurdy uh, tonight will be the final part of his, which lasts about 30 minutes. Uh, there have been quite a few responses to all of these interviews which have not been addressed by me. And I've been pleased to see some engagement online when people watch them uh, as a result of, of these interviews and pray that they will continue to open up minds and dialogues in the future. So uh, Eric Jurdy in just a minute. First, I want to um, tell you about the absolutely magnificent podcast system that has been put in place by Michael. In fact, instead of me trying to walk you through it, I'm going to have Michael, the man from Sweden who gives us a tutorial, to do it himself. So take it away. All right, we're excited to show you the HOTM podcast archives page. Simply go to HOTM.TV, select in the menu, Podcasts. Once you're there, you're going to have four different choices. Currently, we have HOTM 2.0 Christianity, which is the current ongoing show with Sean McCraney, our host, our pastor, our friend. Uh, we have HOTM 1.1 Evangelical, which is a previous HOTM series. HOTM 1.0 Mormonism, which we all know Mormonism just ain't the same. Then we have Christianarchy Today, which is an ongoing show. Um, all you have to do once you're here, click on one of the buttons. So I'll click uh, Christianarchy Today. That'll take me to that particular show's podcast playlist player. And this particular show, since it's an ongoing show, you're going to see the latest episode at the top. If you want to go back to previous shows, you just go down and you can see which episode you'd like to choose. Uh, the additional thing here is if you go up to, for example, HOTM 1.0 Mormonism, what you're going to see in this playlist is that it starts from episode one. The reason why it's a reverse order here, both there and in Evangelical, is because those shows are finished. There's no more additional shows added to them. Uh, so you have the ability to scroll through here go to any previous episodes you would like to watch and same thing with uh, Mormonism and so on. So it's it's pretty simple to navigate. One thing you can also do is scroll down to the bottom of the page and you can download the free Spreaker podcast app. This is both for an iPhone or an Android. You click on one of the two options. Once you've downloaded that all you have to do is search for HOTM to pull up all the shows that we have hosted there. Uh, in addition to these podcasts, we have the audiobook Knife to a Gunfight. Any additional audiobooks will also be placed up there. Campus Meat and Milk are also coming to there soon. I hope you can take the time to listen to the podcasts. They're really great uh, when you don't have the time to sit and watch an actual YouTube video. 
to just sit in the background and listen to the podcast as you're doing additional work. So I suggest to try it out, start playing them, enjoy them. Also, don't forget to share and recommend to all your friends and family. Thank you. All right. We are back with Eric and uh, I can't tell you how blessed we are to have the volunteers that we have. Uh, Derek and Danita, the stuff they do, uh, which is separate from everybody else, is amazing. Uh, Kathy Maggie, the stuff she does, which is separate from everybody else, amazing. Seth, what he does, same thing, separate. Wendy, endless hours of work, separate from everybody else, but it all integrates. And then Dave and his invisible girlfriend, they participate like you can't believe, or at least Dave does. And, uh, and then there's Michael in Sweden and just the things he has done with the website and the podcast and, and helping out so much. And of course, Steve-O with the music and, and, and Christianarchy Today. And then we have my family, they're all volunteers because uh, they, they volunteered to be my wife and children. And uh, there's Mary and, and Mallory and Cassidy and Delaney and their families who are involved and Webster's families. Actually, everybody's families are involved because these people who volunteer are absent from their family when they give their time. So just so grateful. The amount of work they put in is amazing, and I thank God for them. In my interview with John DeLynn, he asked about the volunteers. Why do these volunteers do what they do? And I tried to give him a pin, but in reality, I really can't say. Uh, what I can say is what they do is pretty much thankless. Uh, you know, I'm grateful, but I'm not really great at showing constant gratitude. And it doesn't come with fame or riches uh, or even very much recognition. So to me, whatever's driving them must come from their heart because you don't get this kind of output from people uh, when it comes to participants. And, and this is vital. So I, I thank you so much. I thank God for them. And I wish we were in a position to bless them materially, but that hasn't really been in the cards yet. Speaking of materialism, I thought it was really interesting that after in those interviews with John DeLynn, I railed on the materialism of some of the local churches uh, and what they uh, provide in the name of God and Christ, like South Mountain uh, Community. I talked about them specifically. Uh, but that social media came out and said that they uh, gave two different um, financial reports during that same week that we did that with John, and that the LDS Church has a 32 billion dollar investment portfolio. That's not talking about their real estate holdings and that's not talking about other things. That is talking about their investment portfolio. And just to let you know, if you were getting 5% on that money, just 5% return on investment, that would amount to about $5 million a day. Uh, that they're, that they're, and yet they still put people under the bondage of give us more. And then we had that yokel blab it and grab it dude who said God wanted him to have a $56 million jet. And uh, again, these are examples to show that enough is really never enough when it comes to money in the name of God. And uh, that in the presence of money in the faith, the people who receive it, who are the recipients of the money, almost automatically suggest that it's a sign that God loves and approves of them. That is almost always the assumption that they are approved of God because they are wealthy and opulent and live and have churches of luxury. But uh, all a Christian has to do, 
All you got to do is look at the foundation of the Christian faith. Look at Jesus and look at his apostles. When they walked the earth and you can see that money played a 0.0.1% role in what they were about. I strongly suggest that because of what men have done to the faith over the years, that we are headed for revolution. And that's why I talk about it. Probably at the hands of the millennials. It could be them or their offspring that are going to bring the revolution full circle. And I shared this recently on Christianarchy Today, but let me rehearse to you what I call the future of the faith, uh, where uh, I'm going to emphasize the things that are going to cause the faith to change radically in the distant future or the near future. I suggest that the faith is going to polarize into two large camps. That's the first thing I want to suggest. The first one is a huge government-endorsed unit of humanism. The religions, the Christian church is going to turn, that side is going to be hugely humanist. They're going to retain some smackings of God in their teachings and a worldwide mass uh, of deconstructed Christians, loosely knit home churches, churches in the park, couple people, that will be the other side. So you're going to have this big polarized government approved humanist uh, churches that are going to be very powerful and you're going to have the small uh, uh, alienated churches too. The reason for this polarization will occur, I believe, because of the following reasons. Number one, the greed of churches today and, uh, and taking the gospel of Jesus Christ and meshing it with uh, money is not going to be tolerated that much longer because people are going to begin to see that their dollar donated goes to much greater causes in this world than to give to some pastor's vision of what uh, he can create himself. Uh, Two, the fear and threat of communicable diseases I think is going to play a huge role. MRSA, which is not curable today, bedbugs, lice, tuberculosis, hepatitis. Some of these diseases are completely antibiotic resistant today. You can go to LA and walk into a, 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 a medical center. I have a medical doctor friend who told me this years ago, and he said there are some of those diseases that there's not an antibiotic that can touch them. If this spreads, uh, you're going to see gatherings of large groups of people start to diminish. Three, lawsuits. Uh, because we haven't had sufficient tort reform, and so lawsuits are going to play a role in penalizing churches for the slightest infractions. And some of those are going to come from the special interest groups. And so let me just tell you, I think that's another reason. Special interest groups are only going to breed and get larger. I mean, we started with, we called them gays, and then it went to uh, lesbian gays, and then lesbian gays buys, and then LGBT trans, and then LGBTQ, and now we're LGBT, LGBTQ plus, which means anything, and, uh, and we have the Me Too movement, we have the Black Lives Matter, and we have the Disabled Lives Matter, and on and on and on and on, and before you know it, we are going to have such a focus of special interest groups, all demanding that they have absolutely equal treatment in this world and the 
the churches, unless they're the big government-endorsed ones, are not going to be able to handle it financially. They're not going to be able to keep up, and, and so it's going to fall apart. Fifth, I think random shootings and attacks are going to cause crowds to fear to congregate, and smaller churches aren't going to be able to put in the security systems, so only the big government-approved, and remember, they got to be government-approved in order to stay open, because the government's not going to put up with a church that doesn't cater to the special interest groups, so that is how that all works. The smaller ones are going to be uh, uh, shot, and then political correctness, there's going to be a heavy smackdown on what is deemed hate speech. So what that means is the, the smaller churches who want to teach the Bible as it's written, even if they openly love and accept everybody, if they teach the Bible as it's written, it will be considered hate speech, and therefore they will be uh, slammed and shut down and financially punished, where the big guys are going to have the government approval. So in my estimation, these are things that are coming, and we ought to start the deconstruction now. And that's why people of faith who want to see the faith survive and it to really flourish under that broken down system, which it still can because of the spirit, ought to start the deconstruction. Something to consider, whatever it's worth. Let me address the difference between uh, facts and reason and emotionalism in the faith with an example. Uh, in our first hour together with my near-death experience discussion with Eric Jurdy, uh, he shared with me a view that comes out in near-death experiences uh, that happens to us after this life. Something to the effect that God or heavenly beings stand at our side when we have left this earth, and they do a life review of all we have done, good and bad. And Eric said, you see your whole life. And, and he said, it's not just the good we've done, but there's a, a ripple effect that goes 10 deep. He, he suggested, which I think is probably just a uh, figurative number. In other words, you told a kid he was ugly when you were in grade school. That kid uh, kicked the dog. The dog bit the mailman. The mailman got an infected leg. He couldn't work for four months. His wife left him, and, uh, and his son was torn up about that and shot up a school. It's that kind of thing. Our actions have a ripple effect. And as Eric and I talked, I considered the ramifications of this in my life, and it hit me so hard that if that was a reality, and I, on the camera, I started to cry, actually. I mean, tears were in my eyes. I, I wiped them away because it was such a profound thing. These emotions were heartfelt with the message that Eric was sharing, but I want to point something out because I resonated to the concept emotionally does not make it true. That's the thing. And that's what I'm trying to show, that emotionalism or a response to something emotionally does not make the thing that's shared true. And it may be true, you know. And to me, it bears some great reason. Uh, but I would not teach this as truth. Um, and here's the point. Even though I relate to it emotionally. Why? Because it's not validated completely. It is in some ways by the Word of God. And so the reason this is important is that if we ignore these facts about emotionalism, then we can perpetuate anything. And when people feel it, they think it's true, they follow it, they embrace it, and it really hasn't been vetted by the Word of God. So there's a lot of ideas out there that some people love. The Mormons love the one that families can be together forever and they can become gods. 
I mean, they, they, they feel that, they sense it, they love it, so they call it truth. Uh, Muslim, some Muslims say they're going to have 70 virgins, I don't know why 70, after this life, if they fulfill certain things in this world. That relates to them. Some people love the idea of an eternal burning hell for most people who don't know Jesus and have never been exposed to him or have rejected him. That is an emotional thing that they love, but looking at the facts, that can be dispelled. So, it's the emotional thinking that has allowed men like uh, the Bagwagnish and Koresh and S J Smith and Jim Jones to, uh, to proliferate in the, this world. So understand, I personally loved and related to the concept that Eric shared, but my point in sharing this is just because something touches us emotionally does not mean it is truth, and you got to be really cautious uh, in what you believe as a result. I want to call this part, and I'm almost done, because God is love, he equips man. Uh, many people are under the impression that we are in a declining world uh, spiritually, and we're headed toward a godless society. And I think this is true in some respects. The more the human race is able to make advances in medicine and science and and agriculture and business and architecture and the like, the more humanity becomes self-congratulatory and the less need that they see for God in their lives. And John DeLynn kind of brought this out. Well, you know, we've advanced. What do we need this Bronze Age thinking for when, you know, we can kind of handle ourselves? Why do we need God? He brought that out, that a lot of people feel that way. In my estimation, this is the trajectory we're on as a human race. And as intelligent actions of humanity step up and solve societal issues between each other, men and women will begin to worship themselves as gods. And those who choose to see and trust a supreme being in the human experience, I think are going to progressively more and more be deemed fools, uh, unenlightened, and uh, that they're clinging to some ancient myths that were once popular among backwooded uh, uh, cultures. But in my estimation, God, remember God is still over this mess. I think God who is love knew and knows that this is the innate mentality in man. It was there at the Tower of Babel. And instead of punishing us, uh, he blesses us and he allows, perhaps liberates, the God gene within people that he bestowed in all mankind. And he is allowing men and women to take care of themselves since men and women don't recognize him as taking care of us. So in reality, the advances in science and medicine are happening through God, and he is just allowing us to take care of ourselves, and he's allowing us to go down that path of godlessness because he gives us the desires of our hearts. To me, God is giving the human race what it wants and what it has always wanted, the ability to worship itself and to hold flesh and bone up above the God of all spirits. Of course, he's still calling for everybody to discover him and to have a relationship with him. And he's taking care of reconciling the world to himself through the life, death, and resurrection of his son. But it seems that we are slouching slowly towards Gomorrah. And perhaps one day the human race will find itself sitting right in uh, its lap. If this is the case, we can assume that believers, especially true believers, 
will become less and less in number, perhaps one day drying up altogether and leaving this earth a spiritual dust bowl. Not because God has abandoned us, but because we collectively have chosen to totally abandon him. This wholly unfortunate situation is in large part the responsibility of those who for nearly two millennia have taken the good news and made it very, very ugly to the rest of the world. I am almost certain that if we could get in a forum with some of the greatest world thinkers who are godless, if they could hear what the good news truly is relative to eschatology and soteriology and afterlife punishment and everything else, that there could be a renewal in the minds and hearts of people of wanting to look to our good God. Perhaps God will leave just enough light in surviving humanity uh, that true followers of Jesus will be able to bring this forward, and I certainly hope so. Almost done. Most of you know that we teach fulfillment eschatology, which means that the Bible and its prophecies are completely fulfilled today and that the New Testament had material demands on people for that day and age that are subjectively understood and lived by us today. And I was reminded of this recently at our campus gatherings when we do church on Sunday, and it bears repeating. In the creation story, God says... Uh, himself created Eve because from his mouth he says that it's not good that man is alone. God establishes this at the beginning. He, cre he created uh, Adam and then he says it's not good that man's alone and then he created Eve. And this is the marriage of a man and a woman. Moses tells us this is the model. And, uh, but when we get to the New Testament, Paul tells his readers in his epistle, it would be better if they remained single. He says it would be better looking at the time that if you would remain single, if you would remain like me, which is without a spouse. Paul actually advised against God's insight and wisdom given at the beginning of Scripture. Now, who do we listen to? Well, if everyone in the world followed Paul's advice since it was uh, written, Christianity would be very, very, very small as, and we would have a very depopulated world. Uh, obviously, Paul's advice was for those people in that day at that time. And we, that's a bit of advice that we don't read and take today. This is how we contextually read the New Testament and that we put it in proper place relative to its surroundings. And it's how we don't become a zealots and say every word must be obeyed today and understood uh, that it applied to us, it was written to us. That's just not true, and this is the case in point. Okay, we're gonna now move on to the last half hour, great time on near-death experiences with Eric Jurdy. Okay, welcome back. This is part three, here with Eric, and talking about near-death experiences. Eric, quickly tell them how to contact you. Yes, go to Facebook. And it's under a group. You have to search under a group. It's called Jesus and the Near-Death Experience. There's two groups. There's Jesus, the Near-Death Experience, and Love or Hearts, which is actually one of the gals who started that's in our group. But then there's our group, which is Jesus and the Near-Death Experience. The picture will be a picture of a flower. and There's a quote uh, from the New Testament on there. We were talking about how, you know, really... People will believe in Jesus, they'll believe there's a God, they'll believe there, or they will reject it. 
people are going to accept this as a reality and that's viable and worth consideration, or they're going to reject it. It's almost like that with everything in yeah. this life, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, but you gave a great response as to the value of these near-death experiences in the personal lives of the people that have them. Share that. Well, yeah. I mean, it's like that old scripture, by their fruits you shall know them. These people, some have been, or were mean. Some people were just average Joe and super, but were just saints probably. But they all come back with a greater appreciation for life, for love, for serving their fellow man. And they, they recognize the value of, of, their, of kind of their interactions with people, like understand the value of, of just love. Love the person you're with, mm. you know, whoever you're with. Love your family. Like Mother Teresa said, if you want to change the world, go home and love your family. Mm. Love your wife. Love your children. Um, call up old friends. Help widows. Go to a, a, a soup kitchen. It doesn't have to even be anything fancy. If you're out about in the store, mm. you know, get the door for somebody. Say hi. If you see somebody in a wheelchair, maybe pray for them in your heart. Mm. It doesn't matter what the action is, but show uh, love as God would love you and mm. as you would wish other people would love you as well. And that's what happens when these people come back uh, many times, their, their hearts are changed. Yeah. Because ultimately the near-death experience is a heart-changing event. Wow. And the heart-changing event that happens to them when they come back radiates out into the world. It's like a beacon of light and people are starving for it, which is why especially in the last few decades, the near-death experience has really gotten traction because we're all spiritually hungry to know God and to feel that love. And these people who come back, are, they're just witnesses in a lot of ways. Um, they're, they're witnesses. And God is going to know that some of these stories are going to be told. Some people may never tell. But God knows that some of these are going to get out. And He wants that to happen. And they're going to change lives. And it's going it's to help people. And it's probably going to save people from disaster and we won't know the full effect because the ripple effect is stuff we can't see sure. but we know it happens yeah it's uh, it's remarkable to me it seems like uh, God is always using whatever is going on in the age that we're in to reach people and we're at a time in my estimation that uh, evangelical Christianity has really made the name Christian ugly in many ways uh, we're known more for what we hate than what we love. We, uh, we protest things. We don't suffer injustice anymore. We're worldly. We're materialistic. We're greedy. And, uh, and we justify all of it in the name of Jesus. And so God says, okay, well, I'm going to bring some witnesses in here in a new way. And I'm going to have people who come and experience a taste of heaven. And they come back and their lives change. Yeah. And they become the real Christians walking about. And the sad thing is, is they're being persecuted by Christians. Of course. That's the sad thing. God, God is sitting them down, and then they're getting the third degree from their own brothers and sisters. Yeah. You should say, you know, thanks for sharing that. That changed your life. That's changing my life. Yeah. No, because dogma rules, and it's, yeah. it's outside of that sola scriptura. Right. Well, we're so upset. Mainstream Christianity, I mean in general, not everybody. Yeah. In general, is you know, there's prosperity Christianity, and then there's... Everyone's concerned. You're going to hell. You're going. To, they're, they're, everybody's so obsessed about. It's like we're going back to the Old Testament again. Yeah. Or as uh, uh, Greg Albrecht, who's a great preacher, calls it the Hebrew Roots Movement. Wow. We're going back to the. We're going back. We keep yeah. going back to old Israel. Yeah. But that's that's done away with. I know. And the near death experience is saying, we're trying to show you Christ has had the victory. Yeah. I'm, I'm God's like I don't know how else to reach you. Yeah. This is it. I'm you know this is my ace. This is my ace card here. Yeah. And we need to listen. Yeah. That's, what, that's the beautiful thing about it, is that it is showing his victory in the lives of very 
different people that they have it and they come back and they all share the same yeah. view. I love that. Yeah, absolutely. Highlight stories uh, from that you have read from people you know, people who are part of your group. Uh, go through and, and, and share those highlight stories. You mentioned to me in the break that uh, Jesus, there's some just amazing, or you said it even on the air, that some amazing stories with Jesus. And, and just what are the highlight stories that have profoundly affected you? Um, so many. Howard Storm, because uh, he's one of the earliest, uh, his story is incredible. He wrote My Descent into Death. I highly recommend people read it. He, um, he had an incredible near-death experience where he was in a kind of a, a difficult hellish area and, and Christ rescued him out. And um, this man has changed. He's now a pastor of a small church, wow. like campus, about 30 people. Wow. He likes it that way. And he's the one that I, he told me when we were on the phone, he goes, God isn't so concerned about your theology. Mm. He wants to know what's going on in your heart. Wow. He's, he's not concerned about all the, you know, does he got this right? Does he got that right? Because mm. we can never prove it. Right. You can't prove something that's already millennia years old yeah. and that we can't, we can't have access to other than what's written down by these people. So Howard Storms is fantastic. Um, and and on, uh, in that uh, story that you just told, what have other stories uh, come back and revealed that's God, that God's or Jesus' attitude is toward religion? And what's he saying about denominations? He's what's not saying, well, like my, my friend Robert Osgood said, who is one of, he's such a, he's a great guy. He's, Christ said, and I'm paraphrasing, he said, what's, what's, the, what's the true church? What's the real religion? Because he had a lot of questions. Jesus answered him. He's like, all of them and none of them. Yeah. So there you go. I think that being interpreted is they all, they all have their ability mm -hmm. to, to express uh, the love and freedom in Christ and they all have the ability to suppress it. Wow. So they can either express or suppress. Mm -hmm. And it just depends on, on the church. You know what I mean? They could be, there could be some great Christian churches, those two ones that are just, they're, they're failing in what they need to be doing, which is teaching love. Mm -hmm. And, and God is a God of love, but let's face it, there's, you know, we can fail as churches yeah. if we're not, you know, expressing, I think, in my view, what, what is his nature as our creator. So from everything you've uh, experienced and learned, can a person love too much in their life using 1 Corinthians 13 as the, as the model or template for love? I don't think so. Yeah. No. That's, that's like... That's like saying, can you be too healthy? Yeah. Love is, a, love is an attribute of God. It's such a woefully inadequate word. Yeah. Even you talk to any years, it's so inadequate. But it, love, God is love. Like yeah. it says in John, God is love. Yeah. It's he doesn't like, have love. No, he, is, he love. is love. It's like the word was with God. The word, you know, is God. I mean, it's the, the same. They're not separate. Yeah. So God is literally love. So you can never have enough God in your life because what is love? Love is life. Mm. You know what I mean? Love is life. And life is love, and love is kindness, it is goodness, it is long-suffering. It's all these attributes that are harmonious with, with uh, thriving mm. spiritually. Mm. And so you can never have enough love. In fact, we're all woefully inadequate of it. I am, mm. you know, we all are, and just thank God that uh, Jesus still loves me, a sinner, mm. you know, a bad person. He still loves me. And you read about these people who have NDEs, and um, they just break down in front of Christ, saying, I'm, I don't deserve your love. Mm -hmm. And he and he just picks them up, and he holds them, mm -hmm. you know? Wow. Like like this gentleman, Richard Cole, I sent, I sent an, uh, I think I may have emailed that one to you, I don't remember, but he had open heart surgery. He died on the table. And um, he asked God all these questions, and it was great. And 
And God was behind him. He didn't want him, God's like, don't turn around, because if you turn around, you have to stay. Mm. And he's like, that's fine, but he goes, I have something for you to do, and if you disobey me, it'll make me, it'll make me upset. Mm. He's since passed away. Mm. I think what God, his message, what, I think what God wanted him to do was reach people with his NDE, mm. because that NDE has, has touched my heart so much. Mm. It's changed so much in my heart, and probably other people, that it's like, it's that ripple effect. That was the mission, I'm pretty sure, to come back and share that. But they were talking anyways and eventually he's like god's like okay it's time for you to go and when he turned around to hug jesus the guy just broke down and cries mm -hmm. you know he's like he put his arms around me and the guy couldn't he couldn't hold it together because mm -hmm. god loves us in our in our sinful nature or mm -hmm. in our in our whatever you would call it, inadequacy or failing to you know mm -hmm. to really be who we could be mm -hmm. he still loves us mm -hmm. and that that's just a wonderful thing mm -hmm. uh your view what some may say are you a universalist because of your exposure to nde or is jesus still the only way truth and the life and all will come to know him i think jesus is still the only way but i guess i'm also a universalist i don't really care about the tags to be yeah. honest yeah. i think jesus is the only way i think some people have nde see him some don't have their ndes mm -hmm. i think eventually everybody will see him mm -hmm. but um we will God has reconciled everybody to him. He will eventually reconcile all to him, all people. We're all his children, and God is infinite. So God, based on his time frame or the way he works, eventually every heart or every soul that's still embittered or embattled, eventually everyone's going to come back to God because God's not going to chop off a finger and leave it on the table. Mm. God is whole. And, and so eventually... We all come from God. We are literally the essence of our Creator. Mm -hmm. We are children of God. Eventually, He's going to gather us all together like uh, like a hen does mm -hmm. her chicks. Mm -hmm. Eventually. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We were talking earlier, and maybe some of you know of this or don't know of this, and if it exists or not. But it would be fascinating just to give the other side of the story of of uh, these. Uh, if there are uh, atheists who die, have the medical proof that they were dead and hooked up or not, but they were dead for, you know, 17, 20, 30, 40 minutes and experienced nothing. I, I would really be interested to know if there's an NDE atheist experience out there or experiences because um, they say that. They say there's nothing. Now we have, how many are having them in the U.S., did you say? Uh, I think the statistic is about 13 million a day because it's 0.05% of the population. So they get, based on the surveys of, of what they know about the NDEs, people who, that they know of NDEs, there's a formula, I don't remember, but it's based on the population, how many have reported it. They kind of extrapolate out oh. there a rough number. They think it's about 0.05% of the U.S. population. This is just the U.S., which yeah. I mean about 13 million a day. So, uh, and you know, they're, they're coming back with stories. And yet we ha I want to hear about Anybody who might know of the atheist community who are dead, clinically, prove it. And, and th th then again, that doesn't even prove anything because they could have no. had an experience and come back and say, no, I didn't see anything. Well, and you know, <laughs> to be honest, some people have experiences and they don't remember till later. Oh. They'll actually remember the experience when they come back. It's, oh. it's fascinating. Oh, yeah. that's part of it too then. Yeah. It's, it's, like I said, so the NDA works on a continuum. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's the, 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 the ultimate continuum is the, the dead, dead, and then there's like the dreams and everything in between, prayer, you know, you know, interactions or synchronicities or whatever you want to call them. Got it. Uh, other stories that have had a profound Well, I'd like to tell you about Robert Osgood's story is incredible. Yeah. Um, 
he's in, actually in the process of writing a book about it right now, but uh, like I said, he met Jesus, and um, they had walked through you know, some beautiful fields, and the landscape was always kind of changing as they were walking. It was interesting. Uh, or floating, I guess, here. I guess you would call it kind of walking. And there was these butterflies around him, and he got to see he, his, his mother died of Alzheimer's, mm. and he got to see her behind Jesus. She looked over and smiled at him. She was about 30 years old, looking beautiful, mm. young. He wasn't allowed to talk to her because Jesus knew if they were allowed to talk, Robert isn't going back. Mm. And so, but he got to see his mother, which was a huge, wonderful experience for him because he was very close to her. Mm. And she smiled at him and they got to know, hey, I'm still here, you know, I'll see you again, I, you know, I love you. Mm. It was seen in the expression. Mm. And also, um, in his experience, he saw um, seven children. Um, and they were all children that had, they were trying to do IVF, him and his wife, mm. and none of them, they weren't able. Took. None of them took. And these were all the children. He saw all of them. Hmm. Jesus showed him all of them. So that's, there's implications there for in vitro fertilization. Yeah. He's like, he told me, he, he wanted me to make this point in this interview. He's like, whether it's through, uh, you know, IVF failure or miscarriage, uh, even abortion, they're, they're, they're with God. They're okay. They're still there. Those hmm. souls are still there. Because God does assign a soul to every, every person that's starting on the earth. You know, He knits us in our womb. Mm -hmm. And as that body's being knit by the, by the Spirit of God on the physical planet, there's always, there is like a spirit for that person. And whether that's there for not even to birth or not, you know, that was, that was designated for that individual. And that will see those children again if someone's been heartbroken or forlorn over There it. are some radical implications from that idea right there. I mean, yeah. far-reaching, radical implications that the sperm and egg uniting is a child. I mean, it, yeah. it just settles it right there. Done. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, what else? Anything else from uh, Robert? Um, he, he, he has a, he is an incredible story. Some of it I'm not really at liberty to share, but um, he had some information about the Bible that I, I wanted to share too. He asked Jesus, is the Bible, did you, is the Bible your word or did you write the Bible? And Jesus said, wanted him to know, I, I did not write the Bible. The Bible was written by men who knew me, that experience, had an experience with me. But he goes, I wanted to make it known that I, I didn't write the Bible that the way that like maybe evangelicals think. Hmm. God wrote the Bible. That fits perfectly with my... He wrote, he wrote the Bible. It was written indirectly on the hearts of the men who knew him. But these are just all... These are witness accounts yeah. to Jesus writing... That's how we get the Bible. These are just... This is just like if, if someone writes an NDE. This is their witness account. Mm. Right? And they write the story about mm. it. Same thing with the Bible. Jesus saying, I did not write the Bible. God did not write the Bible. This isn't like how the mm. Christians think. You know, he's like the, the, the editor. and the, no, That's not how it happens. I believe his spirit... May, had it happened so that it was preserved, okay. but Jesus did not write, God did not write the Bible. These are men and women who are giving their witness accounts who interacted with God or Jesus, mm. and they were preserved through time, probably through his goodwill, mm. so that we could take from the fruit of it. Mm. 
But I just wanted to make that point. You're going to get some heavy kickback. I know, on that I know, one. I am. But I, you know, that's my friend Robert. I'm telling you, this this guy's the real deal, and I wanted to kind of pass that along. So it doesn't lessen the Bible. In fact, it makes it even greater, because. If you say that God wrote the Bible, you have to look at all the weirdness in it and go, how are we reconciling this? Mm -hmm. Well, these are just people who were having experiences connected to Jesus and to God mm -hmm. that are writing down their experience. Got it. Just like the NDE writes down their experience. Some are varied and they're different, but it's all ultimately coming from the same source, right. if that makes sense. So instead of the... Uh, so it is Sola Spiritus. Yeah. So instead of the idea that God inspired Peter to write 1 Peter, gave him the words to write in that book, we might liken the Bible, the way Robert is explaining it, to being um, 26 people who fully understand uh, the word love. And they write accounts of something they experience. And in those accounts that they write, there is a thread that is contiguous, with all accounts that it, it, it that meshes in because uh, uh, when I read the Bible, Eric, what makes me believe it has uh, something supernatural about it is the way that it intertwines and connects with all the other elements that are in, most of the other elements that are, not all of them, but most of the other elements that are in there. I see a signature stamp upon every single book so to speak maybe not every word or sentence but every book and so it would be similar that the spirit of god was in them as believers and they wrote their testimony right and that signature is in everyone right that's what the bible is it's a testimony it's basically a log of testimony yeah of people who have either like the apostles were with jesus directly they're basically writing it's kind of like if you're saying, I ran into Sean today, this is what we, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just me writing a sketch of what happened, my interaction, yeah. what God, what Jesus imparted to me, what he taught me. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's really just letters. Like I said, it's a compilation of a lot of things come together of different witnesses mm -hmm. who were there as opposed to, right, God directly speaking through them, you know, like the automatic, right? right. You know, it's not, it's not that. Right. Because that's, that's just not how God works in it. He works through people. Yeah. You know, he just doesn't work into them directly like it's automatic writing or like, you know, possession. That's not how he works at all. Well, the value of that view is it strips away some of the dogmatism that comes with people who say he wrote it. Right. And it has to be interpreted, of course, my way. Right. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, very good. What else? Anything else from uh, um, Brother Osgood? Uh, Brother Osgood, I would just recommend going to YouTube and listening to his interview. Yeah, uh, Robert like, Osgood. Yeah, Robert Osgood. Just type in Robert Osgood NDE, you'll pop up. I highly recommend it. It's fascinating. Um, there's also, um, how, like I said, Howard Storm. There is Mary Neal. There's Crystal McVeigh. She actually said she smelled God because she's like, it was incredible. Smelled. Smelled God. God. Now we're getting into my uh, area. Yeah. Smelled God. Smelled God. And she likened it to what? I don't remember, but I think it was pretty good. <laughs> chocolate, wow. chocolate and roses. Uh, uh, maybe I don't. <laughs> okay, now you're giving me too much fodder for and humor. She, she was, she was actually dead for nine minutes, the same length of time George Ritchie was. It's kind of interesting, but nine she has minutes. a book um, out. And um, uh, if you go to YouTube, uh, there's a channel called NDE Accounts. There's just uh, I could go on, but there's a plethora of these accounts that you could listen okay. to and read. Question. Yeah. The books. Why sell them? Yeah, exactly. Why sell them? Why are they selling them? I, I don't know. 
I, it I, bugs me. It, it bothers me a little bit too. And, and in fact, money is kind of a sore spot in the NDE-verse. Is it? A little bit. Um, That's a you, sticky wicket. Why? Yeah, I, I don't know. I can't tell you. I think people are still human. I think some of it, it's not all money. Sometimes people have to be compensated for time, and there's things that have to be invested in. Sure, there's costs. And there's travel. I mean, there's costs involved. I get that. The problem I have with is when it comes to just landing profit for profit's sake. Because look, they were freely given an ineffable experience of love and amazing. You go out and share that with no charge. I didn't charge you a thing. In fact, I brought you back. Yeah. You could have stayed in heaven. You probably would have loved it, but I brought you back for a reason. And that, and I've talked with Robert about that. We both agree that is, that's a, that's a, that's a sticky spot Does with he some sell things. his books? He doesn't have any books yet. Oh. But he is not, he's been approached by major, manu- major publishers and mm. he refuses. He's going to put it for free on the internet. He refuses to charge, make money off of it. He yeah, okay. absolutely refuses. Well, he's, a man, he's a man after your own heart. The other side of that coin is they may come back and realize, I can charge like mad for this book because it doesn't yeah. matter to God in heaven this world operates on its own economies and they're not restricted by any guilt yeah. because they know what he's really like. Well, and ultimately, sometimes they make books because these big publishers, this is part of the deal. Yeah. They want to make the profit. Yeah. So they're not necessarily in it for the money, right. but they have such advertising and they can get the book out yeah. that they're just, you know what, I'm taking the good with the bad. Yeah. And I think the majority is like that. They're yeah. like, I've got to make, I got to kind of make a deal with the devil. Yeah, I get it. I, I think they're, I, you know the ones where the heart's are in the right place. And there are some things that I really doesn't sit well with me. Mm. And like I said, and I've made comments before on things. I'm like, mm. this is freely given to you. Mm. You need to step up to the plate and make some sacrifices. Yeah. When, I know, when you knowingly, when you, you have a pretty good idea that this, this is, there should be no profit motive here. We gotta take the money out of it. Yeah. Yeah, we, this NDEs have absolutely, you've gotta take the money out. It sullies it, it dirties it, it, it makes it, it just makes it, it makes it dirty. Yeah. I don't like it. But it's easier to do with, like you said, the marketing side. Well, and I think the, the money really is going to the publisher. They're sure. the ones who want the money. I, sure. think, a, I think most, I'd say 99% probably of the authors just want to get the story out. Yeah. They want to share with people. You know, I, my gut instinct is the money isn't really a big deal to them. Other stories? Uh, other stories. There was Richard Cole. A lot of these are just online accounts. Um, mm-hmm. There's also... Um, Dying to Be Me by Anita Morjani, um, who was healed of cancer when mm. she got back from her NDE. A lot of miraculous healings with NDEs. People mm. have miraculous healings, like my friend Robert did. Um, didn't Mary Neal describe some kind of miraculous healing with her legs or something? Yeah, I, I just know miraculously she didn't have any brain damage. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you're not pinned underwater for 17 minutes without, without serious internal organ or brain damage. Yeah. I mean, you've seen her interviews. Yeah. She's... she's uh, Claire is a bell. Yeah. Um, I, I can't really think of a, a whole bunch of books off the top of my head, even though I've got a million of them. But just if you go online, you can even under Amazon type in like Christian near death experience or just near death experience, and they'll bring a, there's just a whole bunch of them. Or even I highly recommend YouTube because you can see um, witness accounts, people who are being interviewed as well. But there's just a lot of information out there to really glean. There's so much information, you know, it's, it's incredible. What else? What else? Um, well, I'd say continue to read your Bible. All right. Continue to read your Bible because uh, J- Jesus is, is real. 
-hmm. He is the savior of the world. And here's something interesting. Howard Storm said that um, he just doesn't, he just didn't come to earth. Jesus, we're not the only planet in the solar system. Mm. Jesus visits his other creations too. Mm. He just doesn't come to earth. You mm. know, we're not, I think in Christianity, we tend to think earth is it. In fact, you hear like a lot of these Paul just say, earth is probably one in a trillion. It's probably no other planets. I mean, what are the odds? It's mm. such a, you know, they make this argument like we're such an anomaly. And in a, in a way we are, mm. but we're not the only planet. Right. There are other life. God loves his other creations. Right. And Howard Storm says, Christ visits these other planets, his other creations. We're not just it. So that's something kind of interesting to think about. Yeah. But, you know, read your Bible, and I think you'll find that there's a corroboration between, uh, especially in the New Testament, uh, the New Testament and what people see in the near-death experience, mm. the value putting on love, God is love, love your neighbor as yourself, um, being humble. Don't, don't look for the profit motive and everything. To really try to be broken. God works with broken people, right? Mm -hmm. He takes broken things. Broken clouds make rain. Mm -hmm. Broken wheat makes bread. Broken mm -hmm. ground makes crops. He, he takes the broken and he, and he turns things beautiful from it. And um, I think if you read the Bible and can read these NDEs with a prayerful spirit, you can see that God is reaching out to us all saying, you know what, I'm still here more than ever. Mm -hmm. I've sent Robert over. He, he's died. He's come back. He made a great personal sacrifice, but he's telling you, you know, outside of the witness of the Bible, look, I'm still here. You know, I mean, I love you. I'm here. I'll, I'll see you again. Put your faith in me. You can have hope. You know, you have joy in, in my Holy Spirit and, and, you know, really hold on to the, to the, to the fruit of the vine, mm -hmm. you know. God is a God of love and he's always active. And the NDE is really the ultimate witness saying God is really, really active in our lives. We may not all experience it. We may never, but we know that he's there. We know he's active in other people's lives. And it's just, it's there for all of us, I think, to fully take advantage of, to build our own spiritual foundation and share with the world. Probably final thought, unless something comes up uh, to you, but what would you say to someone who has suffered a tragic loss? someone whose loved one has departed unexpectedly or someone who's suffered greatly and is gone and people who are experiencing mourning they don't know the indie they don't know the hope that we have what, i mean how would you tie all this in and what message would you give to them from everything you've studied about people who have gone beyond and come back i would say that these people are with they're in a good place they're with God they're with loved ones and we have people we have witnesses who've who've crossed over they've met their loved ones and they've come back and they said you know what they're there though they're they'll be there for me when I die um, there are cases of there's some rare cases but they have them called a shared death experience where two people die at the same time who related who see each other on the other side of the veil they're very rare but they have them wow. and um, these people, one of them, one of them, this gal died. She saw a grandmother who they said they both saw each other and then they both survived and then they both died again. The grandmother passed on and when they saw each other over, the grandmother had crossed over and she wasn't allowed to, to cross over on the veil. They're very rare, but they do happen. Wow. But I would just tell people, you know, these people are with God. They're, they're joyful. They're happy. They're in the bosom of the Lord. Mm. And... And the near-death experience is there really as a comfort. It's maybe how the Holy Spirit can, can give us another a witness, I guess you could say, of, of there's something more to this world, that, you're, that your family is okay, your loved one's okay. You're going to see them again. Mm. This isn't the end. Mm. It's just the beginning. Mm. 
and eternity is a long time. Mm. And if you just wait a little while, it's never easy, but it will be worth it mm. all this time on earth. And just take faith because we've people have been there, they've come back. And you can take faith and, and take solace and take heart knowing that you'll be with them too someday and they'll be waiting for you. I, I remember I talked to Howard Storm. I said, you know, my mom, you know, because her husband passed away, her stephusband. I said, yeah, my mom really, really misses my dad. I told my mom this, and Howard Storm says, you tell your mother when she, when she crosses over someday, he'll be the first one to greet her right behind Jesus. Mm. It brought my mom to tears, but mm. it's so true. Mm. Uh, one other question that's come to my mind, it's from somebody else who's asked me this, and do you have any insight just from what you've heard from everybody who's experienced this, what's the purpose in all this in the first place? Uh, you know, why are we made material beings, uh, especially if you think we came from some sort of mm -hmm. spiritual place, go material, return to spiritual, no spiritual, no physical resurrection. I mean, if heaven and everything about heaven's spiritual, and God is not a man, he, and, and he wants us to be like him, why the material experience that has pain and all this going along with it? I, I think it's a couplefold. I think it's to get knowledge of things outside of the heavenly realm, to just understand creation in, in a different point of view. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it, but ultimately it's about love. Mm -hmm. How we can learn how to love in a very restricted environment so that we can really know love from the very bottom to the very top. Mm -hmm. That way, because God knows love from the top to the bottom already. He's omniscient, he's infinite. He, can, he, can, he knows all levels of love, but we're created beings, we're children. And this is how we can understand the heart of God better and know what love really is when we can get into the dirt and get our hands dirty mm -hmm. and, you know, understand what sacrifice means. Mm -hmm. Because I think we know love in heaven, but I, I, I believe we don't know God's infinite love until we've experienced mortality in a way. Mm -hmm. You, you kind of you get a different perspective. So I guess that, that's how I would frame it. I think, I think we're, we're mortals and we sin and we're fallen creatures, but... Um, I think it's a way for us to really understand an aspect of the infinite that we couldn't know just being pre-edenic in a way. So, which is why perhaps the writer of Hebrews writes things like, the angels look on us with great interest. Yes, like, absolutely. Because they may not understand the, the depth of love that we do, uh, having become material, right. experiencing in this. It's a Ab great Yeah, great absolutely. Insight. And absolutely. And it really, it's all about love. This isn't like, this isn't a torture device. God created the, the world for a reason. Like, for instance, God didn't create Adam and Eve, and then there was the fall. And then he's like, oh, I got to fix it. I got to send right. Jesus down. Right. He knew everything was going to happen. Right, right. He knew it all was going to happen. And so when you look at it that, in that frame of reference, you realize that it looks... It's very, it looks very tragic, and there's a lot of tragedy, and there's a lot of pain, but everything God does is, is based on love. And so, in my view, based on my research reading the Bible and reading the near-death experience and what people bring back, it's really about understanding love from a, from, from a mortal, finite point of view, mm. which is a love that is, is kind of down on the trenches, mm. a love that comes from maybe pain, mm. as opposed yeah. to just bliss. Makes sense. Brother, I'm done. All right. You done? I, I'm done for now. We're going to right. another three hours some we'll, other time. We'll go again and again. My brother, I really appreciate it, Eric. Thank you. Taking the time, Eric Jurdy. And again, tell them, where, uh, go on Facebook, type on in. Facebook. Jesus and the near-death experience. And the near-death experience. It's the ampersand symbol for and. 
So Jesus and the near-death experience, it's under uh, group, groups, just search under groups from Facebook. It's under groups. Just uh, request to be a member, and uh, we just have our guys kind of check out, make sure you're not a robot or a, you know, some of the spammer, and then accept. Come on in if you'd like to share a near-death experience, or if you know somebody who has one, or just have a question, or you want us to pray for you, or anything, we're there for everybody, and uh, it's kind of like, you know, it's like a lot like campus. Come as you are. Thanks, brother. Well, great uh, interview with Eric and uh, grateful for him taking time out of his family vacation to stop in and spend a few hours with us and share this stuff. Uh, pray that this will open us up to further discussion and interest and information that will lead us into more hope. When Eric first got here, he said, Sean, you got love and you have faith. Where's hope? You got to get hope up here. And I think there's a lot of hope built into this, this message that he has for people in a hopeless world. And I'm all about hope. I'm all about encouraging people in the hope that Christ brings. So I think this has done, gone a long way to do it. We uh, really appreciate it. We'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter.